Shapiro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's weekly live Industry 4.0 Q&A. I'm here with Walker Reynolds. I'm Zach Scriven, your host. Um, welcome to 4.0 Solutions. Walker, how are you doing today? I am blessed as I am every day. I'm excited to join the, the crew today. So we've got the chat pulled up on the side. We are live a little bit early. Uh, make sure to subscribe and ring the bell because we go live every week at Tuesday noon central. Here to answer your questions. Hey, Anders. Hey, Michael. Ahoy to Dan Riken, Mario Ishigawa, uh, Alan Duvall, Anders Gustav, and Michael Dowdell. I would say hi to those guys because they were there first and they commented first. <clears throat> hey, Cheryl. How's it going? Good to see you. Um, all right. I've got my Walker a, Reynolds mug today. I have a rant to go on today, gang. So, um, hey, Josh. and yeah, I, I've got a, I've got a rant. I'm going to go on. Um, but first join the discord. If you're not already links on the screen or links below. Okay. <laughs> Good to see you, David Schultz. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a rant and, um, Oh, crap. I just noticed that my screen back there, I have uh, the background is for the adversity and success channel. It's not the speaking of that. Stuff. Speaking of that, we actually got feedback okay. on that. Um, Jeff Rankinen said that he was like showing it to his students. And there was at one point where it kind of came in like the it's like smoke going into water, right? Is what it yeah. is. Yeah, it's like it kind of came in and it sort of looked like Jeff Bezos rocket ship for a minute there. And he was like, I guess it sort of made him uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah, so he asked if we could change it or, or you know, get one that doesn't make I just, it look it, like... It's just like a 4K thing on YouTube yeah. playing back. I, I didn't notice it, but he's like... <laughs> so anyway, sorry for the screen back there because that that's normally... Um, I have, so what uh, is adversity and success, if for those who don't know, while we're still getting started here? Uh, so yeah, you. So this community knows that I'm, I wrote a book and uh, the book is in... It's being edited right now. It's completed, and then I'll have to do rewrites like uh, next month. And I, I think the title of the book is Adversity and Success. I wrote the prologue. I, I did the epilogue as well. Um, the uh, Adversity and Success is just another YouTube channel that we launched that's an accompanying – it accompanies the, the book itself, and that's all it is. And uh, each week we're doing a video that covers basically one of the chapters in the book. And then we're just sort of shooting Zach, you know, based on comments and stuff I'm shooting. So that that's, I'm shooting responses to comments and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the adversity and success, but it doesn't have anything to do with industrial automation or anything like that. It's a higher level thing where I talk about values and that kind of jazz. jazz. Um, all right. So let's, any, any questions? Um, from the community before started share my screen. Well, actually, I probably won't share my screen. I'll just go through. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll share my screen. Um, any questions from the community before I get started? Specifically on, did everybody here watching here get a chance to watch the Supply Chain 4.0 uh, presentation last week that we did in lieu of the live Q&A? Sorry that it was you know two hours, but that's what they paid us to do. Um, and was that valuable? Like, was that a that that keynote that I gave, in your opinion, if you watched it, is it a keynote that other people other people should see? So let's start with that. And then I'm going to go into my rant. I'm going to be talking about Emerson today, if you guys want to know. Yeah, it's definitely best listened to, like, as if it were a podcast, because obviously, you know, I didn't have 
the proper camera setup, it was sort of a wide shot. Couldn't really see what you're presenting. Right. For those of you guys that didn't know, what is what he was presenting was really just like bullet points. So if you just listen to what he's saying, that's where you're going to get the most takeaway. Okay. Um, um, all right, cool. So what I'm going to do, let me, I'll go ahead and share my screen. Let me uh, make sure. Uh, and Brand said he needs to rewatch. Someone said you're a great storyteller. They liked how you, you know, integrated your stories to make your points. I wonder if that is. Uh, it's a good thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he just watched the introduction. Um, Dwayne Zimmerman, thank you. Um, all right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, uh, quick. Uh, well, we'll get into the sponsors in a minute. Okay. Where is... I've got to share this over. Sorry, guys. We've got some pretty good questions today. A couple came in on Discord. Someone's, someone sent me a DM about a particular question we're going to answer today. So. so real quick, I just want to say thank you to Carry Labs, who they are our sponsor. I'll put their logo in here. Um, a couple of things if you guys didn't know canary labs is a sponsor for the month of october i've been i've had a relationship with jeff nepper who is there i think he's the vice president of business development years and years ago so the the story about canary labs it's actually a really good one um i think it was at csia three four years ago i met jeff maybe four years ago and i had been high on his on their historian on canary labs historian for a couple of years and I had actually been thinking, man, you know, inductive automation really ought to scrap their historian because I'm not a big fan of it. And they should, um, you know, they should, uh, you know, embed Canary Labs historian. And so we had meetings and stuff there while we were there trying, you know, I was trying to make the case and stuff. And anyway, and with inductive automation and, and the that's where the relationship with Canary Labs really blossomed. And if you look at over the last four years, although, you know, Canary was already a, a very successful enterprise historian as an organization, but, you know, those, those, the guys at Canary have a lot of vision. You know, they want, they want to have a positive impact. They're a faith-based organization as well, you know, God-fearing folks, and, and they want to have a positive impact on the world. They're not just pure capitalists, you know, and which, if you're a pure capitalist, that's great, as long as you tell people you're a pure capitalist. Like, there's nothing more annoying in the world than someone pretending to be values-based when their values are, you know, let me get as much money from you as I possibly can. Um, so, anyway, I um, we started the relationship with Canary last year, or a couple of years ago, and, you know, and we basically use Canary Labs Historian in every single one of our implementations. I can't think right, of there we a... Go of an architecture yeah an architecture that doesn't have um canaries you know canary labs um in the implementation so just some announcements 13 you know we broke thirteen thousand subscribers on youtube woo woo. we're we're well over 2700 members in discord and um you know big thanks to canary labs so i i'm gonna start with i'm i have a rant that i want to go on um and so I'm going to stop sharing my screen for a second, Zach. All right. Um, over the last year and a half or so, maybe two years, I've been hired. We've been hired by multiple organizations to do what is known as a peer review 
of um, large OEMs digital transformation roadmap assessments. So if you look, you know, Rockwell Automation does this. They, they'll come in, they'll do a roadmap, you know, 7 point, 8 point, whatever. Um, Emerson will do it. I'm going to talk about Emerson today specifically. Um, Siemens does it. Um, you know, Deloitte does it. I mean, uh, McKinsey does it. I mean, everybody does it, right? And a lot of times people will ask me, you know, why can't I go with, you know, why is it, Walker, you know, you, you say, Walker, don't, you know, you need an agnostic provider to do your assessment to evaluate your organization plot where you are and you know create a strategy and architecture and and plot your path forward okay why is it i can't just um go to emerson for example or go to rockwell or go to siemens or whoever and have them do it for me and i'm going to tell you why right now um so if you know anybody who works for emerson i'm about to eviscerate them um, so this should be funny. Um, but let me go ahead and share my screen again. All right. Yeah, out of here. There we go. All right. So, so if you look here, and did an announcement a couple of years ago on this digital transformation um, roadmap. Let me zoom in. Yeah, that helps. Thank you, sir. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the first paragraph and then talk about this. So I have I have evaluated there. They have this digital transformation roadmap, and I have done a peer review of their roadmaps probably at least a half dozen times now. Um, their roadmaps are basically identical. If you look at their roadmap for customer A and compare it to customer B, it's like 99% the same. You know, the only thing that really changes, they have a section called business cases, and the business cases are unique, but basically everything else is exactly the same, all right? But I want to I want to point out this is the specific problem with using Emerson's digital transformation roadmap. And every time I do one of these peer reviews, I have to say the same thing to the to the customer who has hired us to evaluate it. And we, they won't just hire us to evaluate Emerson's. We've we've evaluated many of them. I'm not. Every every large OEM who does this, they do it the same way. So we're going to use Emerson as the example, but I'm, you know, this this applies to all the big ones too. And since I pick on Rockwell Automation all the time, you know, whatever. So in 2018, they they submitted a, they released a press release that said Emerson today announced a digital transformation roadmap with consulting and implement, implementation services to help companies develop and execute a tailored digital transformation plan to reach top quartile performance. Translation, we have a new product to sell you. Number, paragraph two, the manufacturing industry is focused on digital transformation, leveraging new technologies to boost operational performance. But there's no consensus on how to get there or what success looks like. That's horseshit. It's, there is consensus. The problem is, is companies like Emerson are muddying the waters. There is consensus. There is a path to successfully digitally transforming an organization, okay, um, and it, using a technology-driven approach, okay? And there are many, many, many examples. There's no consensus among the legacy OEMs on how to do it because they're all fighting to monetize it using their own ecosystem, all right? So fuck off, Emerson, all right? Um, with industry standard, it's hard for companies to know whether they are on the right track or when they've arrived. The irony here is... When we talk about industry standards, 
The standards themselves are written by the OEMs who are going to benefit or are going to profit from them directly. Case in point, OPCUA. This is part of the reason that, you know, it, you know reading the OPCUA standard is, you know, it, it's a it's a more painful experience than a root canal while someone's kicking you in the head. I mean, it's it, it and it's less utilitarian, right? It's organizations like Microsoft and Rockwell and all of the big beasts are they're infighting in all of those committees to make sure that whatever's put into the standard is going to benefit their organization the most, include specifically their existing products, okay? When Emerson says, "Hey, because there's no industry standard, the reason there's no industry standard is because companies like Emerson muddy the waters. And I got a, a, a gazillion examples of that, all right? Um, operations technology, OT, and information technology leaders are often siloed, not collaborating toward one central mission to achieve digital transformation. I agree with everything except for achieve digital transformation. Digital transformation isn't something you achieve. It's a fucking strategy. How many times do I have to say this? Digital transformation is not a destination, okay? I literally read this. So let's say you're, you're, you work for organization A, B, or C, and all of a sudden someone says, carte blanche, we're going to digitally transform, okay? And you go, okay, well, what the hell's that? I don't know. I, just, I went to this conference. They talk about digital transformation. We should leverage technology to improve our operations or whatever. Digitally transform us. All right, so what is digital transformation? Oh, okay. Oh, all I'm doing is taking things that are in paper and turn them into, no, that's not all of it. Yeah, you're going to digitize some shit. Oh, I'm going to collect some data. Yeah, you're going to do that too. Oh, I'm going to use some networks. Yeah, I'm going to do that too. But let's remember what the goal of digital transformation is. It's the manufacturing holy grail, okay? That is a complete closed loop operation, including a unified, integrated digital supply chain, okay? So what I presented last week, the supply chain argument last week, is a it's a manifestation of the your initial digital transformation um, initiative, okay? If I don't get if I don't get the plant floor digital transformation right, not just the use cases and the business cases, but if I don't get the technology and the architecture correctly correct, then I can't connect that infrastructure into a larger infrastructure, and I need that larger infrastructure to leverage things like machine learning across plants, artificial intelligence across plants, optimizing scheduling, logistics, optimizing my supply chain, reducing lead times, uh, reducing costs. I can't do those things unless I have the building blocks to do it. And those building blocks are all built on these basic principles of digital transformation, right? You got to have the right strategy. You got to have the right partners. You got to use the right technology, okay? When I read Emerson's documents, Okay, when I read their documents in their digital transformation roadmap, there's never a fucking mention of a strategy. There is never a mention of technology. There's not a technology architecture they recommend. What they propose is digitization of existing paper business systems that create more data silos. Okay? And then they give you this little chart to say, here's where you you hear where you are against the rest of industry. It's not the rest of industry. It's against the rest of Emerson customers. That's it. Their sample set is our only people who use Emerson technology. But yet they tell their customers, this is all of industry. It's a fucking lie. It is a lie. Okay. It drives me insane. Okay. 
So they say this thing at the end, right? Our customers have different starting points and levels of maturity when it comes to evaluating and implementing digital transformation strategies, says so-and-so at Automation Solutions. Emerson's proven digital transformation approach provides the ultimate flexibility while pinpointing the optimum path for each customer based on their objectives, readiness, and overall digital maturity. Okay. Emerson does not have a proven digital transformation approach. That's horseshit. That's also a lie. Emerson may have a proven digitization approach. I can help you digitize this thing, this paper thing into this digital solution. I can tell you how to you know, aggregate your alarms here into this database, and I can show you how to aggregate your alarm definitions into this other database, and I can show you how you can buy this analytics tool that's only going to talk to this one piece of EHS software. But there's never a discussion in Emerson's roadmap on how to put all those things together. There's never a discussion on what the digital strategy is. They, they ne- it, there is never a discussion on what technology you should use. There is never a discussion about how the data is unified, th- w- how the business is structured, how the events are monitored, how the larger data, that is the data we're going to take up to the enterprise level, is normalized okay, and accessed. There, and there's also never a strategy for how you're going to use their digital transformation recommendation, their business cases, to solve future problems. All they do is list business cases and say, do these things. Let, let's, solve, let's do that use case. And every time I review an Emerson roadmap or a Rockwell roadmap or a Siemens roadmap or a Deloitte roadmap or you name it, okay, enter in other company, they're all the same. There's no discussion of strategy. There is no discussion of technology. There is no discussion of unification of data. There is no discussion of the future. It's a list of fucking projects. Projects that they want you to do and use their the stuff that they got to sell to you for. That they 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 have they pick the projects that they have products to sell to you for sell for. Okay? I I am sick and tired of organizations who should be taking a lead no longer they're not taking a lead they're looking for opportunities to exploit through misinformation and i don't want to use the term misinformation they're looking for an opportunity to exploit their existing install bases by providing literally excrement that's what this is it's excrement and no wonder all we have is a long list of clients who are calling us saying we're confused. We, we spent $250,000 on X. We spent $250,000 on Y. And we got basically a list of things we need to spend more money on. And we still don't understand how spending money on those things is going to solve our bigger vision, which is at the end of the day, a unified digital supply chain and a closed loop manufacturing process that leverages machine learning and artificial intelligence to optimize on the fly. I want to go back to one big thing here. So they say manufacturing industry is focused on digital transformation. They say the manufacturing industry is focused on digital transformation, leveraging new technologies to boost operational performance. That is not what manufacturing is doing. You know, I'm going to give Zach some credit here. You know, Elon Musk did Elon Musk did a um, 
you know, he did the earnings call. Uh, was last week, right? End of last week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Elon Musk did the Tesla's earnings call, and and, and in a nutshell, if you didn't watch, basically just highlighted. You want to know what our competitive advantage is in the market? It's manufacturing. Yeah, as much as you guys think it's the technology, it's the software, it's not. It's 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 the way we manufacture. And how do they their manufacture? Digital, it's their digital strategy. It's their digital fucking strategy. And if you look at the Industry 4.0 distribution, if you look at the Industry 4.0 distribution, that is for for the most the most digital companies on the planet, Tesla is literally number one in the sample set. If you look at the top three companies, it's like Tesla, Amazon. I don't know who number three is, but I know Volkswagen is in, is in like in the top eight. You know, Volkswagen, Volkswagen, by the way, of the top eight companies, Volkswagen is the only company that's a legacy organization. That is an industry 3.0 organization. They're the only, if you want to know the, you know, how do you digitally transform from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 using a digital strategy? Volkswagen's the example because Volkswagen is the highest in the in the sample set. Let me um So you guys learned a new acronym today, DFS. DFS. Sorry guys, I'm all fired up today. So uh Michael Dowdell said he wants to talk about a pandemic. Let's talk about the lack of ethics in the old line industrial. I mean, these guys do shit most eight year olds know is wrong. Uh, correct. They you're you're spot on hundred percent. Um, I have a story where my company was highlighted and the misrepresentation was incredible. It was a project that I was involved in. I knew the OEM's actual participation and the results. It completely destroyed their credibility with me. Yeah, 100%. And if you guys had one of the questions I'm going to answer today in the Q&A comes from that, you know, industry, uh, you know, what is it? The industry 4.0 thing. Um, uh, there was a video we shot about industry uh, how industry's changing and how is it changing so all right with that that's my my um phil scruggs appreciate you for calling out and identifying where real value is added and more importantly helping to clarify where a roadmap with no tangible info is not adding value um yeah uh oh wait uh flames basketball said supply chain 4.0 is good except the language and you mean me swearing that part, I, hopefully. You did, catch, you did catch yourself once. and But I will yeah. say the event coordinator who hired you to speak. She actually told yeah. me to just keep doing, yeah. She's she like, went I, out of her I, I'm glad you were you, basically. Yeah. She, in fact, just so you guys know, when I came off the stage after that keynote and I went and talked to our actual customer, she was in tears. I actually thought like someone in her family had passed away or something. And, and she was just that happy with what we had done in the keynote and she said she said you know thank you for being you that's what she said and so um it was a great it, conference it obviously felt really really good um okay let me let me go ahead and move this here and then i'm going to go ahead and get into the questions um unless you guys have another question you want me to answer i've seen the inside as well it's not good business wolves and sheep's cloning yep um all right here we go why do you curse, by the way? Authenticity? Um, same, same reason as Gary Vee? Yeah, I, it's who I am. I mean, I think in, you know, I, I think in curses. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, like a couple of other examples, like when I was a kid, my parents used to say, you know, my parents used to, and they didn't curse a lot, but they did, you know, 
and you know, but they would tell we couldn't, you know, we'd wash our mouth out with soap or whatever. Right. And I said, you know, why can't we curse? And they said, cause I said so. And as I got older, I, I just never understood like why you would tell people they can't curse because language is a really powerful thing and curses used effectively can get people's attention like that. I mean, you can smack someone in the face, you can insult them, you can flatter them, you can hug them. You can also swear at a strategic point in a message that you're sharing to get people's attention, you know, and I choose to do that. Yeah. Well, why um, don't you, could we start with this one real quick? Just, you know, take it from the top, just. Yeah, absolutely. At a high level, um, what is a UNS? A unified namespace is the structure and events of your business. It's a single source of truth and it's current state. It's what you have right now. It's really simple. Think of a unified namespace, UNS equals unified namespace, as a, as a real-time file share for your business that has all data and information that you need. So, for example, imagine I click, I went to a folder, and that folder said, you know, parent company, you know, enterprise company. And then I inside of there, I had a list of business units, and I double-clicked on the, the folder for business unit A. And then inside of there, I had a list of plants inside that business unit, and I could double click on the bit, the sand plant and inside of there, I'm going to have more folders and I'm also going to have events and the events could be things like the OEE of that facility right now. You know, what's the current schedule of that facility? What's the, what's the most um, profitable um, asset in that facility? Think, you know, think of it that way. And then if I want to drill down deeper, I see a low OEE number for that facility. I could click into my to one of the areas and I could see the OEE there. That's what a unified namespace is. It's the, it's the way your business is structured and it's all of the events of the business. And anything I'm looking at in a unified namespace at any given time is the value right now. And there's, it, there's many, many reasons why you want to use a unified namespace instead of the digital thread, which is what companies like Emerson and Rockwell and you know, and Microsoft and, and Siemens, you know, they're all selling that, which is, you know, deterministic, you know, take instruments from the edge and I ha and I'm being deterministic that instruments going all the way up to the cloud, as opposed to ca gathering all the context it could as it's moving up your automation stack. But the unified namespace is the structure and all of the events and everything that we teach about how to digitally transform an organization is built around that technology. The thing that's missing in Emerson's digital transformation roadmap, which is garbage, absolute garbage, and I want someone from Emerson to come on here and prove me wrong, which they won't. Um, but, you know, I, I'm happy to have him on here. I'm actually going to tell another story here in a second. Um, it's the, What's missing is what tech are you going to use? How are you going to organize the data? Um, how are you going to make sure we don't leave any data behind? How are you going to make sure that we can scale it out? That is, as we add new information and new data, we can scale it. And, you know, how can that be part of our much bigger digital strategy? And how can we use minimum technical requirements to make sure that all the new stuff our employees buy down the road is going to fit into this infrastructure? There's no discussion of that. All it is is a list of projects. Hey, and we've got products we, got, we can sell to you to do those projects. You know, that's how they're focused. So... I want to go back to one other thing real quick before um, I, I start answering the questions. So you guys may have known, you noticed that we posted a video, which was the like Discord. What Zach? What did, we, what did you end up calling it? Where we had the game show things? Yeah, the IIoT shootout. But for some reason, there's like an issue with that video right now. I don't know why, but all right, so where it like freezes apparently, but the audio keeps going, right? 
Um, uh, I'm not sure, but I'll I'll get it posted on our podcast so you can at least listen to it. All right, so that that is me. That video is me going through and responding to a very long thread in on the Discord server in the IIoT channel. And there's a guy named Rick Bellata who um, Rick Bellata, who's a, you know, he's a really famous guy in the industry, you know, um, now, you know, former CTO at Wonderware. Uh, he developed, uh, you know, he's one of the original um, uh, principals at ThingWorks. He was involved in the sale of ThingWorks to PTC. Uh, there was another product he made that he sold to SAP and then went to SAP for a couple of years as a VP. You know, really influential guy, serial entrepreneur. Um, he and I have a lot in common. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Rick. But you guys know me. It doesn't matter if I like you or not. It doesn't matter if I respect you or not. I'm always going to tell you the truth. Just because I like you doesn't mean I'm ever holding back on you, right? And so there are some things, you know, um, that I had said in that video about Rick that obviously didn't sit right with him. They weren't intended to sit right with him, okay? And, and you know, they were tend to point out some things. And what I had said was two things. Number one, I don't know what Rick's values or mission are, so I don't know if he's just a pure capitalist or whatever, and all the stuff he's writing in here, I don't know if it's driven to, like, sell some other product. It turns out it's not. He and I had a bunch of private conversations, and he told me what his mission was and what his values were, and we're going to have him on the podcast and you know, there's a lot more synergy between me and Rick um, than than uh, than one would think. And actually, we have really similar backgrounds. Um, he went, you know, he went to college in upstate New York. We actually went to the same university. Uh, I don't, I don't think at the same time. I was only there for a year, but um, the um, there's a lot. We have a, a very similar backgrounds. But one of the things that I said about Rick was that Rick is part of the problem. You know, and and what I meant was he. Uh, well, I don't remember the product that he created for SAP. It was like light light bar something or whatever lighthouse so light hammer development or something lighthouse yeah, light hammer and he, he sold it to sap sap is part of the problem they're not part of the solution so if you're an innovative organization i want to clarify what i said here because i didn't i didn't mean to to disparage rick in any way but let me say this you know there's a there's a a company that i you know i met with um I don't know if I can mention their name because I think I have an NDA with them. So I, I'm going to have, sorry, I want to mention their name, but I can't. There's this automation company out from California that, that um, is an industry 4.0 company. Okay. They, they make a, a, a software suite where they make a bunch of drivers and that's actually real value in the market. They can make drivers really, really, really fast, but they also have an industry 4.0 platform that integrates natively edge to cloud cloud learning published back to the edge, right? Um, the they It's an amazing platform, and I love it. But I rarely mention this platform because I learned during the conversations that I had with the, the people who were running the company, my feeling was they're only building this company to sell it to one of the, the big automation companies. And so that's that's a crime. You know what I mean? It's like one of the very first questions I ask innovative companies, Steve Heckman, the number one thing I say to Steve every time I talk to him in inductive automation is don't sell to Schneider, don't sell to Rockwell, don't sell to these huge companies, right? Because they're going to ruin your platform. You know, Rick sold ThingWorks to PTC and he's not happy with what PTC did with ThingWorks. He can't be because there's great technology he put in there like PubSub that they took out. <laughs> and why did they take PubSub out? Because they don't want fucking ThingWorks working, interoperating easily with every platform on the planet. 
They want to funnel you towards other EPTC products and now other Rockwell products, okay? And so what I was saying about Rick was things that Rick has done in the past are part of the problem. And what we need are the innovators going forward to stop selling to these companies who exploit their customers, full stop. Like, I mean, why anyone works with Rockwell? Um, the, <laughs> Michael Tudell. Um, the, 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 why anyone works with Rockwell is beyond me. I, I just, I, I don't understand it. No one likes working with Rockwell, and yet organizations still choose to do it knowing that behind the scenes, you know, Rockwell is focused on their share price. They're focused on what's in the best interest of Rockwell first. Okay? And it, it, it bothers me to no end. Okay? But let me say this. After talking with Rick privately, you know, Rick is a believer, and he's a mission-based guy. He really is. And I'm really excited to get him on the podcast so that we can collaborate and share ideas because the only way we're going to change the industry, the only way we're going to change the industry is we start with our values and our mission first. If all we're going to do is, is, is take the expedient route, take the most profitable route first, right? Um, and not focused on the most valuable route. That is, which is a function of cost savings, you know, mission, and, you know, and other efficiency calculations. You want to take the most valuable route, not the most expedient or the cheapest, okay? Or, yeah, the most expedient or the, the cheapest. And, and, um, and I think Rick is one of those guys. So um, I wanted to make sure I said that. Um, all right, cool. All right, so let's get into the questions. So Sarah Lott said, you're focusing on the manufacturing industry, which is great. I'm curious about the application of IoT 4.0 and underground mining. Being involved in an underground mining project, I can see many touch points for the future of digital mine mining. Would you like to discuss? Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about it here. I, I started my career in mining. I spent five years working in a salt mine a half mile underground in upstate New York, and and I got introduced to industrial automation there. So a couple of things about mining that's really important to understand that makes it unique to all of the other industries. Number one, a mine is always growing. Like when you go into a, a, a plant, when you go into a manufacturing facility, the building isn't always getting bigger, okay? In a mine, you are always adding infrastructure and you're always removing infrastructure. So in the mine that I was in, you know, we mined through the center underneath a lake and then we kind of mined out to the, to the edges of the lake and it had to do with the stability of the roof, right? And then once we got to the very end, we would pull out all the conveyors out. We'd pull everything out. We'd move to another area of the mine. But the mine was always heading further and further north, and we were always mining east and west, and then we would pull out and move. So mines are always growing, especially underground mines. So number one, the infrastructure that you put in in a mine has to be mobile, okay? In most cases, what the, serial is the easiest way to do that. You know, and a lot, there's a lot of data highway plus in underground mines. So number one, you have the challenge in mining is that the infrastructure is always changing. Number two, the infrastructure is very unstable. Uh, when I was an electrician working in a mine, the, probably the number one thing that I did was reset the power uh, in the mine because we had a power, uh, a, a power fluctuation on service or, or on surface or a, 
you know, a thunderstorm came through. Okay. And, and you guys may not know this, but in mining, because the infrastructure is so unstable, that is the electrical infrastructure. And uh, there's a guy on here who works, who, who works for a company that makes electrical infrastructure items. You know, they use undervoltage in all their switch gears. So basically what that means is that when the mains voltage drops out, all of the breakers trip. So when the power comes back on in a mine, you have to go to the bottom of the shaft where the electricity comes down and reset that gear. And then you get in a truck and you drive, you know, maybe another thousand feet and you reset the gear. And, and one of the biggest advantages or the things that where uh, a mine can benefit from is being able to remotely reset their infrastructure. And we did this in oil and gas. And oil and gas goes through this exact same thing. We basically wrote a, an algorithm that that closed the reclosures for the electrical infrastructure that in, was Western, sick. in Western that was Texas, sick. which was a function of their location, the value of the assets that they were that that were that that reclosure or switchgear was powering. So you always wanted to turn the most profitable wells on first, but you also didn't want to turn everything on at the same time because their electric bill was always a function of their peak usage. So you couldn't just you couldn't just turn everything on because you would see this massive inrush of current and their rate would be, you know, 10x what it should be. So mining can benefit from the exact same thing in industry 4.0. The challenge with mining is that you have to make sure you invest in a robust infrastructure, not electrical, but you got to invest in a really robust communications infrastructure. And that robust communications infrastructure needs to be the function. Of, it needs to serve the function of mobility understanding that the communication infrastructure is going to change all the time. And so the biggest value is, is let's say I, I'm pulling a face box out to a certain location in a mine, or I'm pulling a switch gear out there and I'm relocating all the equipment. One of the best things that you can do is if you're using edge-driven technology, you can have the infrastructure report, that is the nodes, the switch gear, the, the, uh, the uh, reclosure, the face boxes, the equipment, you can have them reporting to your infrastructure where their locations are. So you don't have to have engineers re, you know, putting those, you know, using drafting tools to relocate those things in the location of the mine and then, you know, printing it on a plotter. So there's a lot of opportunity in mining, but the challenges are very unique and the reason you're not seeing wide adoption in mining is because mining people who work in mining only work in mining. You don't see people who don't who work in other industries working in mining. Like part of the reason I left the mine was because I had been there for five and a half, almost six years. And if, and I was making so much money at that point that if I didn't leave at that moment, I would never leave. And I would be stuck in mining the rest of my career. And so it took a, you know, I had to be brave to leave the organization in order to expand my knowledge. So it's a great question from Sorel about, you know, application of IoT 4.0 and underground mining. There's huge value there. Absolutely huge value, and, there, and and by the way, um, I don't know if there's if you know the the guy that's on here who works for the company that makes all the electrical stuff, um, whether they make um, gears and reclosures for in mining. I haven't. I did tour their facility. I didn't see any of the low profile boxes with undervoltage, but I assume that they probably do. But um, yeah, uh, Benjamin was saying, I was watching video IoT explain and Walker was sharing the recipe to develop fully dynamic and self-aware SCADA system leveraging ignition. Yes. I want to say another thing. 
I had a chance to sit on a presentation by Galaris System, Galaris Solutions, the other day uh, for a life sciences company. So there were two guys who invited me to sit on that. Um, Paul O'Sullivan and Paul is with a company called Skellig Automation. They they specialize in life sciences and they're he's part of an mastermind. Ir- yeah, they're part of mastermind and everything. They are Paul O'Sullivan's company, Skellig. They're a big um, like Emerson DCS company. He Paul Skellig is a huge or Paul O'Sullivan is a huge oh, industry 4.0 visionary for life sciences. And then you've got John McKeon, who is who's the principal and the owner and president of Galleris Solutions, which is based in Ireland. And he's also a life science guy. And I had an opportunity to sit um, in a presentation that they were giving to a life sciences company. And they just asked me to consult in that conversation. And John McKeon's team, one of his guys, this guy named Oscar, had built a self-aware uh, visualization. So he he demonstrated it for the life sciences company, and so um, which was cool. It was cool to see other people doing that type of self-aware application where if I add a new if, – if I – plug a new piece of infrastructure in and it shows up in the namespace it just shows up on the screen it was just cool to to show them demo that all right um my question uh bin you mean says uh my question is shouldn't a self-aware skater be able to detect event on its own instead of we defining the event in the plcs the answer is yes and it does detect the event as long as the instrumentation that's driving the event um is is supports the technology in most cases you're going through the PLC because I'm using instruments that don't support MQTT. But if I'm using smart sensors, I'm not going through a PLC for my data collection. That that event is going directly into the namespace. Great question. Um, yeah, Skella gets the shout out. All right, good. And the question number two. Um, Walker, so this is the this is the um all the rest of these questions I think here are are from the um you know, industry is changing video part one, and we're getting ready to shoot part two, which is going to like, where's industry going? Um, but Ben Gadsby said, Walker, this video is based on the premise that machine builders only use one distributor. Granted to you that rebates, et cetera, would be likely better based on volume if you purchase through only one. Okay. All machine builders work through one primary distributor. Okay. There, there's no machine they and that primary distributor throws their weight around and that weight is is being driven by the oem so if you watch that video when i'm talking about how the oems which are really they're the suppliers how they influence the distributors and how they really bend their arms in terms of what you're going to tell the machine builders to do the the distributor who's really impacting you is your primary distributor, the one that you're doing 80% of your business with, 90% of your business with. The other distributors are only there to supply the things that your primary distributor doesn't even have on their line card. Okay, so it's a good point, Ben. I was really, you know, obviously I, my statement wasn't completely inclusive. It's a very good point. But remember that if if I'm working with a distributor that does 80% of my business or 90% of my business, they have a shit ton of leverage over me. Okay. Mayor Patel said, everything you explain here is true. The main problem in industrial automation field is that there are very few less OEMs due to the specific type of product, which related to clients and not for mass users. They always use a programming platform and protocol, which only compatible with their product family and not with other OEMs. So sometimes even if the end user have a perfect idea what they're falling into, they can't select the best product in a different segment from different OEMs. Not true. If you, they can, assuming 
assuming you're adopting a common technology where you as the customer are now telling the OEMs you have to support this. Every time I go in front of a major life sciences company or a major sugar water company or, you know, a company that's got billions of dollars in buying power, my call to action to them at the end of my presentation is you need to force Rockwell. You need to force Siemens. You need to force PTC. You need to force OSI. You need to force Wonderwear. You got to force all these companies to adopt this technology. Okay. I'm educating you on what you have to do to keep your business alive. Now you have to take your buying power and go to them. Look how much I rip Rockwell Automation. Okay. There are so many people who work at Rockwell who send me private messages cheering. Okay. I mean, for real. I mean, I can't tell you how many. There was a guy, I can't remember the guy's name, Spencer something. He, yeah. he, when he first joined Rockwell, um, he he ripped me. He was like, "Oh no, that's all fucked up." You know, his attitude changed over time. That guy did. He he, he wasn't. Oh, he didn't become more pro, or I don't want to say cheerleading for Rockwell, but he, you know, I, I look how much I rip these companies. Right? They don't ever come on here and defend themselves. You want to know why? Because they can't. The last, <laughs> the last thing in the world they're going to do is get on a podcast with me and have me destroy their company. In front of everyone, and have them pay to do that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no way they're going to do that. Okay, and and if you guys want to see the point, what I recommend you guys do, everyone who watches this video, there'll be there'll be like a thousand watches of this. I want you guys to send an email to Rockwell Automation saying we, we want you to send a representative to do a live podcast with Walker Rental 4.0 Solutions, and we have his questions, and let's get like a hundred thousand people to send that to him. Okay, I believe Rockwell Automation has a obligation to defend themselves to the community. If you have hundred thousand people send that message to them, they'll come on here. They're going to come on here. They're going to send their best debater. I promise you, and I'll destroy him. Let me just throw it right down. I can't remember the last time I lost a debate. Can't remember the last time I lost a debate. Okay, so and 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 I certainly I don't lose a debate. Remember in college when you had to argue a point that you didn't believe. Like you were given a position you had to defend. And in law school, they do that. They'll make you defend a position. I don't even lose those debates. I'm sure as not, I'm sure as hell not going to lose the debate when the person I'm debating doesn't have a fucking leg to stand on and I know how their business works. So, Rockwell, get on here. Come on the podcast and defend yourself, damn it. Um, Meyer Patel, but what I want to point out with Meyer here is the point that I wanted to point out was that. There are two things that have to happen. The end users have to hold the OEMs accountable. It's not that the OEMs are bad people, okay? Um, it's not that they're bad people. It's that they're being dishonest about what their motivations are and how they actually operate, okay? And you, everyone finds out when you get in this business. You all find out the hard way, right? You, you find out the hard way, the way the OEMs and the distributors work. Um, and then you come on podcasts like this. You, you, know, you come into the comments here and go, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That video, by the way, industry is changing, has something like 130 likes and zero downvotes. You know what that means? That means, um, shit, what's that guy who used to come on here? Um, he used to come on every video and give us the down, down vote. Uh, God damn it. The guy from West Virginia, the one with the really strong opinions. Zach. Um, which guy? Which guy? The super, super smart developer who would always come on here. 
Oh, uh, was it Eric Barnstadt or? No, 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 no not our, the, the, the from which the, company? I, I don't know. He's an integrator. Which, by the way, I heard I heard that whole group at Microsoft got blown up. Yeah. Um, who? What that? Oh my God! Uh, the guy from West. He always uses a house as his profile photo. Oh, dude, uh, Derek Stickle. Derek Stickle. All right. He's he's like in. I don't think he's in West Virginia. I always thought of him as like he's in from, North he's Dakota. From, he's from West Virginia. Um, Derek Stickle didn't even come on that video and downvote it. That's how, <laughs> that's how accurate that video is. That's how accurate that video is about the in, in the industry. Okay. All right. Let's do Ben Benim. So he said, could you maybe next time comment on the possibility of the U.S.-based tech stack bias? Okay. Not that I'm implying anything, but when I hear certain products in these sessions, I always talk to myself like, why don't you use X or Y? Sometimes you mention a couple of familiar ones such as Mitsubishi or Omron or InfluxDB or Grafana, which are prominent, pretty common here in the Netherlands, albeit we have a heavy fluent influence of Beckoff, Siemens, Panasonic, ABB. For some reasons, OAS is as opposed to Ignition, and it seems like a more common tool to go around here. Might be my own bias. Is it a U.S. versus European thing? Oh, right, yeah. You don't really right. like them that much, huh? Um, yeah, here, here we go. Let's lay this out. Um, there's no such thing. Okay. You're, They're the ones that make that platform, right? The guy who left a comment and... Correct. I, I like I like OES. I don't I don't dislike the platform or anything. I, there are some limitations to it, common digital thread stuff, but I, I like it. But here here's the U.S. Europe thing. Okay. Mo, I don't think most people understand like what socialism is. So even if you're a social democracy, right? A social democracy means that you vote for representative government, but your economy is socialist. Okay. And what that means is is that government on some level owns the means of production, okay? So for example, in Germany, the, the federal government in Germany has a vested interest in manufacturing. In many cases, they own, they're part owners of the manufacturers. If you go to Siemens website, for example, and you wanna download, um, you wanna download an updated copy of TIA portal, one of the things that you have to do if you don't live in Germany is you have to do a certification of that download. And why? Because of the high regulatory environment of industry in the Western nations that are social democracies. Okay. So why, when, why, why though? Like, why is it that way? Economic nationalism, the, the way that they keep industry in their, in their countries is they rig the game. Now I'm not, I'm not, how do we in, keep industry in our, in our country then th through innovation? So in the United States, we make the most innovative products in the world. If you look all would over Europe, the globe. Would Europe agree with that or are they in denial about that? They're not in denial. If you talk to them privately, they know. What do the Europeans do? They're slower, they're more organized, and they perfect things. Okay? So they can't go to market fast enough. It's really hard to emerge in Western Europe, in, in, in other nations in the West. It's really hard to emerge with new technology because government plays such a huge role in who wins, okay? And, and as opposed to winning on the merits. Like, for example, Ignition, Ignition was created by a systems integrator in Northern California and not in Germany because you would never be able to get it created in Germany. The government has a vested interest in seeing that Siemens wins. And so they make sure Siemens wins, okay? The, so this is where that U.S.-European thing comes from. Here's the other thing. In, the, in Europe, they are, they are economic um, nationalists, 
Okay. So what does that mean? If I'm, if I'm a German manufacturer, my primary focus, if I've got a problem to solve, I'm going to look at only German companies to start. Okay. And it, it's just, it, it's a, it's, it's codified. It's a philosophy, but it's also just a way, a cultural thing. It's a way they think. So they're going to prioritize other German companies over anyone else, not, not out of best, but out of nationalism, okay? Economic nationalism. They will move outside of Germany to other products. Now it's really, the EU has made it a little different because now everyone has a vested interest in all European products in Europe. So if you're, a member, if you're an EU member nation. And so they, they, they'll, if they go outside of Germany, now they're going to go to other European nations, and then they'll take a look at out, outside, question. outside of Europe. Go ahead, brother. And I'm not disagreeing with that. Just, it made me think of it like, you know, people, when you say your mission, sometimes we say to save and create, help manufacturers do more with less, save and create middle-class jobs. Sometimes you also, you personally qualify that in the United States. Isn't that sort of nationalism? It is. And I, if I'm so, gonna, you're but saying, I, but you want to do it on merits, not just because, just because. Okay, and, let, and so let me say this, okay? And I'm going to, man, I hope that this doesn't get too abstracted. I hope you guys don't <laughs> mind. So um, here's here's why I'm focused on saving and creating middle-class jobs in the United States. And I don't say I'm focused on saving and creating middle-class jobs in other countries. Because I, I expect the Canadian experts like me to focus on saving and creating middle-class jobs in Canada. And I'm expecting the people in Mexico to try and save and create middle-class jobs in Mexico. I don't mean try and save and create middle-class jobs in Mexico by having American companies go there. I'm talking about creating Mexican industry, right? And we have members of our community who are there. I'm sure everybody here has heard of Jordan B. Peterson, right? Everyone here knows Jordan Peterson, I'm, I'm assuming. He's a famous clinical psychologist from Canada. He, he, um, you know, he, if you, you know, you can, he, there's lots of motivational speeches and all that kind of stuff that he's given. Um, he's famous for like, he took a stance on in Canada. They, they did a, like a transgender compelled, thing. Compelled speech was really yeah, what compelled it was speech. He took a stance on compelled speech. Okay? He destroyed Kathy. He ended Kathy Newman's career. Yeah. He destroyed, ended Kathy Newman's career. All right. So here, here, Jordan Peterson says that his, his goal is to change the world. Like to make the world better, and one he gave a very famous speech about how do we prevent how do we prevent um, the atrocities that came out of the totalitarian regimes of the mid twentieth century, um, Nazis, right? How how do we prevent that? Okay, and he said the best way to prevent tyranny from the collective, the group, is to start with the redemption of the individual. So that is, in order for you to redeem all of humanity, for all of humanity to create societies that benefit everyone, you have to start by redeeming the individual first. That is, the individual has to adopt values and beliefs, and, and they have to get rid of all the things that are about them that are not um, valuable. Do they have to do that themselves, they, or can someone do that for them? No, they got to do it for themselves. You have to choose. You got to choose to do that for yourself. And then, if enough people, if enough people redeem themselves, and they're all in the same group, then that group has also been redeemed on a much larger scale. I take the exact same approach when it comes to transforming industry. Okay, I'm starting with my own home, right? 
you know, Jordan, another thing Jordan Peterson says is get your home in order before you just tell other people how they make be your living, bed. Right? Yeah. Make your bed and all that kind of stuff. I, what I'm doing is I am focused on transforming industry in the United States because that's my home. And I'm counting on other members of the community to transform industry in their homes. And if we all transform industry in our homes, our individual homes, then we will redeem all of industry all over the world. That's the reason I focus on saving and creating middle-class jobs in the United States. But I always caveat that with, if you're from, you know, enter in your nation's name, you know, if you're not from the U.S., okay? Um, all right, let me, and then la let me go to Niles. I won't get to the last one. We'll do RV's question next week. Um, so Niles Kaiser a couple of weeks ago said, hey, Walker, we develop automated warehouses and we use a PLC that communicates to a system that can determine the directions of the packages by a barcode. Is MQTT a good solution for these kind of communications or is OPC UA a better solution for this? Okay. MQTT isn't just a good solution for that use case. It is the solution for that use case. And here's why. If you look at the traditional, how you would architect that initially, okay, um, you would almost certainly be storing the barcodes in a database and then referencing those barcodes to determine you know, obviously what's happening here is the conveyors, you have to decide where to route a package. And so what you're doing is you're reading the barcode and then that barcode, you have to give a command to the conveyor systems to tell where to send that package. The reason I'm able to give you this answer is because we've already done this and we did it with MQTT. We have a partner based here in Dallas, uh, Precision, Precision Warehouse Design or Precision Warehouse Systems. Um, the, uh, the guy who owns the company, his name is Haney. He, um, they, they make world-class conveyor systems for you name company. Okay. And they do it from the ground up. And we worked with them to do exactly what you're talking about here. Okay. And it was all MQTT based. Um, why did we use MQTT? Because the speeds at which the packages were passing through the conveyors, we couldn't do the polls and responses over OPC way fast enough. Okay. Also, Rather than using a database to do a lookup for what the command would be, we could we actually were able to create a data set in a MQTT topic. So we could create a data set that had, you know, if if uh, if barcode, we only had to look at the first four digits in the barcode. If it's got this four digits, it's that command. If it's that four digits, it's that command. If it's that four digits, it's that command. And so we were able to look it up in a topic without having to query a database. All right. Um, Oh, thank you, Dan Riken. He liked the, uh, the answer. That was a good one, yeah. Yeah, any... Well, everyone, let us know where you are saving and creating middle-class jobs in the comments. Let us know where you're coming from. Yes, Daniel Hirsch is correct. In Germany, big companies have high impact in the government's decisions through lobbyism. Um, all right, any, any other questions before we, we call it a week? This will be literally be the first time we've ever ended. Actually, we won't end early. Um, because I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go on a rant. Uh, I, I I am fired up today, um, so I do apologize for that. I'm Why are you fired right. up, buddy? Why are you fired up? That, um, this is that Emerson shit, huh? Yeah, I mean it's not just Emerson. I, no, the Emerson thing was a uh, you know. Uh, um, oh, Mark Ritchie, NX102 Sparkplug B update. Um, I need to bring Matt in here to give you that answer. Um, Mark, let me. I'll I'll get the answer and message you on Discord. Um, 
The oh, you said Canary had an update, didn't you? Yeah, let me go. Did ahead we already and, uh, say that? Yeah, Canary Canary came out with an update, um, version twenty one point four. A um, couple of interesting features that they added in there. Um, specifically, you can plot events in Axiom um, easily now, much easier. Um, and then they've got a uh, a data generation tool that they're going to do like a webinar on. Uh, looks like October thirteenth at two thirty. So tomorrow at two thirty. Um, we'll share it. We'll share the link in Discord. But the the cool thing is is that the twenty one point four release that Canary has, they added in views that will provide Axiom with external tag properties, which they you couldn't view before. Um, you can do calculated tags with aggregates can be set with either a fixed or a relative start time parameter. So now you can parameterize, parameterize, um, aggregations. Um, and the signet data collector received an update. Boo, signet, boo, signet. Uh, so, all right. Any other questions before we, we drop off? One said, can you use uh, spark MQTT without spark plug? Yes. Of course, you can. You, yeah, you know, I said we always recommend using both because you can have Spark plug be right alongside. Uh, yeah, you flat. Yes, Mark Ritchie case study that releases here. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people have been asking for that case study. Is it wrong to build your MQTT empire without Spark plug? Random question. No, it's not wrong. Um, you'll eventually. I mean, here's the thing: you can start with just MQTT three or five and add Spark plug later. I mean, that's the beauty. There, you don't have to settle on the spec you can scale the spec. That's part of the reason we do it. Um, a lot of times we're starting with MQTT3, like vanilla, we call it vanilla MQTT. We use vanilla MQTT to start and then scale up using the Sparkplug B stack. Um, do you know when Phoenix does their Sparkplug B for PLC next, would it be so easy as setting a checks box as it now for OPC UA? The answer is yes. I asked that exact same question, Mr. Mamantos. Um, no function block will be function. I think my understanding is just uh, the function block is just for using MQTT for individual topics that you're publishing. Uh, Michael Dowdell, Vitamilla MQTT is just more work. Agreed, Michael. All right, I appreciate everyone. Um, we've so got Apollo Sullivan said go on the uh, go on the rant. Oh, he said go on the rant. Excellent. <laughs> well, too late. I'm glad he I'm glad he liked it. Um, all right, guys. I will. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for watching. See you guys. Bye.